it's great to be here as a combined uh, bunch from uh, our morning and night congregations. It's great to be able to stand together in the name of Jesus and to worship him together. I'm going to be sharing just a few thoughts from a passage out of Matthew 9 uh, today. If you have your Bibles with us, you might like to turn to it. But it, the uh, passage is printed on the inside of your uh, sheet that you were given as you came in. The context of this is that Matthew has been called by Jesus. We read of some of Jesus' uh, miracles that were happening at the time. He was teaching his disciples. He was forgiving sin. He healed a paralyzed man, a sick woman, a blind man, a mute person, and he raised a dead girl, a, a girl from the dead. And this comes into the context of really showing what he was and who he was. And we forget that Jesus was a rabbi. He was a teacher. And throughout other parts of the scripture, it talks about him being a teacher. And a rabbi in those days was one who had disciples. Let's read that verse first before we get into... Oh, there it is. Matthew nine thirty-five to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and the villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest and therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. When we think of those times in that uh, first century, we think of even before that, this idea of disciples uh, was something that came from the Greek culture many years before that. And if we look at the word that's used, for the, used in the Greek for disciples, it means apprentice. And we've been learning about that in The Way, in our series The Way, and today marks the first of four in our series, The Spirit and, the Mis and Mission. And we read that this word means apprentice, one who's not just a follower, but one who apprentices to a rabbi. And you see, the rabbis were itinerant, and they would go from village to village teaching, and uh, they would have their disciples following them. Now, we think of Jesus and his disciples, and we think of only 12, but really, if we were to look at the scriptures again, we would see there's probably another 120 uh, with the disciples, but the 12 disciples were called apostles. They were set apart ones. They were a little bit different. But there are all of these uh, disciples who would follow Jesus. And what was the disciples' aim? There were three things that a disciple would aim for uh, as he or she followed the rabbi. Firstly, the first goal is to be with the rabbi. The disciple of Jesus is to be with Jesus. And as that rabbi would walk from village to village, he would have those disciples follow him. He would teach them on the way and they would learn and they would learn of the scripture, they would learn of the Torah, they would learn of uh, the way of life and the customs and how it was to be a rabbi. There was a blessing that was given in those days and the blessing was, may you be covered in your rabbi's dust. 
And uh, that meant that because you followed your rabbi from village to village, at the end of the day, it was such a blessing that you were covered by the rabbi's dust in that he was walking ahead and you were walking behind. So the first goal for a disciple or an apprentice was to be with your rabbi. The second goal was to be like your rabbi. And so the guys, the, the, the disciples or the apprentices would start to dress like their rabbi. They would speak like their rabbi as he thought they would teach the same way. And so the way that he was would rub off on them. And um, you would copy everything about your rabbi. So you'd become mini rabbis, <laughs> if you like, uh, underneath that one particular man. There was a life transformation in the middle of that. To be like a rabbi or to be like your rabbi, that meant that you had to put away some of your own things and become like him. And so you'd be transformed into that image. The, one of the earlier rabbis of Jesus' life, uh, Hillel, who we mentioned last week, if you were here to hear me preach, he had 70 disciples. So these guys had lots of people who they were pouring into and lots of little rabbis who were being developed underneath them. So the first goal was to be with your rabbi. The second goal was to be like your rabbi. And the third goal was to do what your rabbi did. Take what he started and move it forward. That's what it meant. Take his work and take it on to the next place. When your apprenticeship came to the end, your rabbi would say, go and make disciples. Bear fruit in your life. And these are the principles that come to us as apprentices of Jesus, coming into the way of Jesus, that we are to be with Jesus. And that means in our spiritual life, in our uh, spiritual formation, in the ways in which we uh, spend time in the Word, the way in which we spend time praying. But if we read books like, if you've seen a book called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence, a little book, a great book to uh, really get a sense of this, is to have our minds always on God, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, that we practice that, and that's the practice of the presence of God in our lives, that our minds are fixed upon Him, and that becomes our everyday life and our way of life. And so we become not just, yeah, we're not just with Him, we start to become like Him, that we are being changed from glory unto glory into the image of God. And not just so that we can get our jollies because we all look like Jesus. Look at me, I look like Jesus. Not like that. But the outworking of that is that we would do what our rabbi does, that we would do what Jesus does. And in our mission as a church, as the body of Christ, and let's not just restrict it to Rivers Church of Christ because we are part of a whole body of Christ. What is it that we are to do like Jesus did? We can see in this passage the mission of Jesus to be continually open, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, to be transformed to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus and to do what he did. So what did he do? There's four, four Ps that I'd like to just 
quickly share on, because I've only got 20 minutes altogether, and this is the miracle part of it. The first P is proximity. When we look at Jesus, he was always proximate with people. He was always near people. He didn't sit on the ivory throne or the ivory tower and give directions from afar. No, he emptied himself and he became as a human and he came into this world to be near us. So often we always think of Jesus came to die for us. He not only came to die for us, he came to live for us. He came to live with us. And so we see he went about all of the towns and the villages healing every sickness and every disease. He was near the people. He was near them in their need. He was near them in their, in their uh, sicknesses, in, in their diseases. He was near them in their emotional and mental distress. He was near them because many of them followed him. But he wasn't one that would sit on the throne and say, everybody come to me, it's okay, uh, I'll just sit here. And No, he was a true rabbi. He would go from village to village and his, disp- and his followers would go behind him. Oh, that we would be ones who would be blessed with that saying that we would be covered with the dust of Jesus, that we would be covered with the presence of Jesus, that he was near to people all of the time. This says to us, if we are to be true followers, true apprentices of Jesus, then we are to be proximate with people. We're to be proximate with our neighbours around here. We're to be proximate with the people we meet at work. We're to be proximate with those we meet on the, on the sidewalk or in, uh, in the shopping centre, that we are to be near, to be Jesus' people near others. Not only was he, the, the first one was proximity, the second one is presence, presence. When we think about Jesus and when he ministered to people, he was always present with them. He was present in hearing them. He was present in their, as we talked about, their need. But not only that, in his presence, he saw. He saw the crowd. And when Jesus sees the crowd, it's not just a whole bunch, big giant bunch of people. When Jesus sees the crowd, he sees a whole lot of individuals who happen to be together. Do you know, when Jesus sees the crowd, you and I are in that crowd. You and I in that place where he sees us. One of, the, one of the greatest things to realize about our God is that he's not only standing outside the universe, but he transcends the universe and he speaks directly into each one of our lives and he sees our need. He's, pre- he's present with our need. He's present with our need to be loved. He's present with our need to belong. He's present with, with our uh, difficult need, but also he's present with our joy. Jesus is present with those people. He walked about the towns and the villages, seeing, seeing that they were helpless, that they were harassed, like sheep without a shepherd. So often we see a crowd and all we see is a big bunch of people. How many times is it that we've taken the time in a shopping centre, for example, and said, Jesus, help me to see these people the way you see them. Helpless. Harassed. Like sheep without a shepherd. 
directionless, without purpose. People who are hurting, people who are struggling. If you were to come here on a Thursday in this building here, out of this building this year, we will distribute about 5,500 food hampers. And when you watch that crowd come in, they're just not just a bunch of people who come to eat and get food for free. They are hurting people. They are people who've been evicted from their home. They are people who, whose cost of living has so much increased that they've got no margin left to get any food. They are people who have been subjected to domestic violence. They are people who feel unloved and not belonging. They are people with mental health issues. They are people with a whole bunch of stuff that's happening in their lives. And Jesus calls us for our calls for us to feed them. Not just to see them, but have compassion on them. That word compassion is a very important word. In our Western world, compassion, and we, we look at the ministry of compassion, and it's a very important word. It's not just, oh, that's a tagline, but it's an important word that we read about in 1 John 3. Let me read just a couple of verses out of 1 John 3 for you. By this we know love, that he laid his life down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers but if anyone has the world's goods and see he sees his brother in need yet closes his heart against him how does God's love abide in him little children let us not love in word and or talk but in deed and in truth and when it says there yet closes his heart against him that that word is the same, is the root word for the word compassion. You see, when Jesus had compassion, it wasn't just, oh, those poor people, what a shame. No, it was the heart of God being stirred within him. And I, f I just, um, oh yes, I remember the word, that word heart in 1 John 3 was called schlankna. And if we read the, pr the transliterated uh, translation of that word properly, in the King James Version, it says bowels. So what it means is, in the first century, you didn't love your, uh, your girlfriend or boyfriend with all of your heart, you loved them with all of your bowels. And the reason why they used the bowel was that where babies came from, they thought that all the love, all that was the centre of the being, you see. So when you say to your girlfriend or your boyfriend, I open my bowel to you. <laughs> and I love you. I love you with all of my bowels. That was what, in, in the first century, if you, said, uh, if you said to your girlfriend, I love you with all of my heart, she would have said, oh, yuck. That thing that pumps all the blood around, yeah, yuck. See, their understanding of medical things wasn't quite as, as advanced as it is today. But... I love you with all of my bowels. Funny things aside, <laughs> when <laughs> the compassion of God or the heart of God, what it's displaying is that everything within Jesus was churned within him. If we read to read in Hosea 11, we read of the heart of God when he speaks of Isaiah, uh, Israel, I should say, when he speaks of Israel, 
and Israel was uh, betraying, and he said, you've betrayed me. I've, I've taught you to walk. I've, done all, I've healed you. I've taken you by the arms and, and, and taught you, but yet you have not acknowledged me. You've, you're bent on backsliding from me. And you can hear the disappointment, if you want to read Hosea 11, you hear the disappointment of the heart of God towards his people. But then it changes tack and he says, my heart is churned within me. My sympathy is stirred. I will not execute the fierceness of my wrath or my anger against you. What he was saying is, I love you. You are my people. And you know when you love something so much, when I look at my twin grandchildren here today, there's something in you that stirs within the depths of your being, isn't there? When you love someone so much, when you love your wife or your husband, when you love people around you, there's something that churns within you. And what Jesus is doing here, when he sees the crowd, it wasn't, oh, what a shame, they're helpless and, and harassed, never mind. No, it was, oh, my heart is churned within me because I see that they are people who are, who are sh like sheep without a shepherd. And so he was very present with them. And how was it that he saw? How was it that he healed the sick and healed the diseases? Because there was power. Not only was there proximity that he was near, not only was he present with people as individuals and as a crowd, but he obtained or possessed the power of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we take this for granted. Sometimes we discount it. Sometimes we love to live in our own power rather than his power. And I'm inviting you as the, his church to open your heart and to surrender yourself to him so much so that the power of the Holy Spirit would fill you and work through you. And it would be a, so much a part of your life that you would recognize and see people who are in need and see them with the heart of compassion. To see them with the heart where they're, uh, knowing that they need healing that they need restoration, that they need Jesus in their life. The power of the Holy Spirit. And how often is it that we're open to that? How often is it that we're open to say, Holy Spirit, you fill me the way that I need to be filled. Fill me to overflowing so that overflowing is shown into other people's lives. We all get scared because we see some extremes that happen in some churches and we go, oh, no, I don't want that. But let me tell you, the Church of the Christ movement was founded on some of those very experiences that happen in other churches that we go, oh, that's a bit strange. The Holy Spirit will work how he wants to work. And if we're open and open our hearts to him and ask him to fill us in ways that we've never experienced before, he will. We need an outpouring of God's Holy Spirit on the church today. We need an outpouring of God's power on the church today. So if we're going to be disciples who are with Jesus, who are like Jesus, and who do the things of Jesus, then we need the infilling power of the Holy Spirit so that we will be people who can go from towns and villages and heal sicknesses and see crowds and have compassion. Not only was he proximate, not only was he present, not only did he have the power, but he also proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom. See, he, if we read through the Sermon on the Mount, he was the king who said, the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is here. 
The kingdom of God is in our hearts. The kingdom of God is when we are in that place and he rules and reigns in our lives. And he's saying, he's saying to us, that's the last one. Um, the proclamation of this kingdom, this gospel of the kingdom, the good news of the kingdom isn't just, I oh, believe in Jesus and you'll go to heaven. No. Be an apprentice of Jesus. Come and follow me. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Have the abundant life that I promise you. And what is our mission, my friends, is to be like Jesus, is to be Jesus, and is to do the things of Jesus, not just in the community of faith. If we think that the church is a mothership, and to take some uh, illustration that I got from Jerry, or Jerry and I chatted about the other day, the church just isn't the mothership sending out lifeboats to pick up people and bring them all and hide them in the mothership. That's not what the church is all about. The church is that we would be Jesus in the community, bringing his light and his love. And when we see a person in need, we just don't pass them by, but our hearts are churned, our compassion is churned. And if we have the capacity, then we meet their need. When we have the capacity of the power of God in our lives, then we can pray over them and help them and walk with them. This is the mission of the church. This is the mission that Jesus has us to do, to be his apprentices, to be with him, to be like him, and to do the things that he does, to be proximate with people, to be present with them, to display the power of the Holy Spirit, and also to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. That's what our mission is. So when we think about our little river and surface rice enclave here do we think about those neighbors over the fences do we think about those people who are harassed and helpless those ones who cast things aside who are devalued who don't belong who are hurting those people who need christ in their lives that's what he calls us to be filled with the power of the holy spirit and bringing his light into others' lives.